Do you remember when you were a kid, the delight of just running and running, running as fast as you could? If you happen to be of my generation, maybe you had what I had, a pair of red ball jet sneakers. I just knew that my red ball jets could make me jump higher and run faster. Our front yard, when I was growing up, had a big front yard with lots of tall trees. And us neighborhood kids would play a game that was kind of like tag, but we called it hide behind the tree. And there was one tree that was safe. And so we'd go racing toward that tree to touch the tree and be safe. And our hearts would be pounding and we'd be all out of breath. It was so much fun. Or maybe you remember as a kid spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning until the whole world was just moving around and you had to flop down on the ground so the world would stop moving and you could catch your breath. We all remember what it was like to be out of breath with the joy of living like that. But that's not the kind of out of breath that we're looking at in our scripture this morning. Being out of breath because we are anxious and worried practically to the point of hyperventilating, that's a whole different story. The Greek word for worry in our scripture passage from Matthew 6 is merinman, which means to worry anxiously. Now, I don't have to tell you that worry and anxiety is very much a part of our lives today. Just to see what I would find, I went on to time.com and I put in the search word anxiety and 21,500 different articles came up just on that one news magazine of time. So here are some of the article titles. Do I worry too much? The drama of the anxious child. Anxiety drug overdoses hit record levels. A link between anxiety and heart attacks. And even iPhone separation anxiety makes you dumber. The list goes on. There are special uh, mushrooms and acupuncture treatments that are thought of to maybe reduce anxiety. There are articles also on math anxiety and on and on it goes. Well, what does Jesus say about worry and anxiety? The first thing Jesus says is, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Do not worry Well, that's just great, Jesus. How does that help, Lord? Now I have to worry about worrying because I'll disappoint Jesus if I worry? Is that what God means for me to feel guilty about worrying on top of dealing with all the things I'm worrying about? Well, let's look further in the passage. Jesus says when we worry about our needs, about what we will eat and drink and wear, we are like pagans. Well, what do the pagans do? They run after all these things. Paganism during Jesus' time was basically a religious stew of many, many gods. There were gods all over the place. Pagans had to be running around requesting this of this god and that of that god. There were spirits breathing down their necks and haunting their dreams. What an anxiety-producing life. 
It was common to see gods everywhere you went. So here's an example of how common those pagan gods were in this culture. In the book of Acts, we find Paul and Barnabas who are preaching. They're in Lystra to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul is preaching one time and he interrupts his sermon because he sees that there's a man there who has faith. And this man has been lame from birth. So seeing his faith, Paul says, stand up on your feet. And the man, through faith in Jesus Christ, stands up and he begins walking. And the crowd just goes wild. And so they decide that Paul and Barnabas must be gods. And before you know it, they're lugging in bulls. They're planning to sacrifice these bulls to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas have a hard time stopping them from doing that. And they say, no, 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 we're not gods. We're just human beings like you. Back in the 1980s, my husband and I had firsthand experience on living in a culture similar to that. The Malawian people were conscious at all times of having to please their ancestor spirits. The spirits of their ancestors were involved in everything they did, and it was an everyday thing to live in fear of spells and curses and death, all connected with these spirits. Your crops failed, you displeased a spirit. The child was stillborn, he was under a curse. Well, it's really no different what we experienced from what these pagans were doing way back 2,000 years before. Anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ will always be doing the wrong kind of running. This will always leave them out of breath, out of touch with God's breath, God's Holy Spirit. It's no wonder that the Malawian Christians that we knew felt so free when they were no longer having to be concerned about spirits watching their every step because of the freedom that they had found in Jesus Christ. But even so, it did take a lot of spiritual growth to break free of that culture of bondage. There was still that temptation, even after a Malawian became a Christian, to run around trying to please the spirits like the pagans were running around trying to please their gods. Are we so different Don't we also give in to cultural influences and to worry? We might not offer sacrifices like the pagans did to make our crops grow, but we might sacrifice to the almighty dollar when we put work before worship. We might not worry about pleasing our ancestors, but we can worry about pleasing other people more than we care about pleasing God. But we know that life in Christ should not be a life full of worry. We want our lives to be different from the lives of the pagans. We don't need to sacrifice bulls like the pagans of Lystra, and we don't need to make offerings to the ancestors like the Malawians. We don't need to sacrifice sleep, fretting over our finances, and we don't need to sacrifice our health by overworking all the time. No sacrifice is necessary. No sacrifice is necessary. Why? Hear this. Because Jesus already made the sacrifice. Hebrews 10 tells us, But when this priest, speaking of Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. 
Jesus sits down. That means his sacrificial work is finished. We don't see Jesus running around having to sacrifice himself over and over again for us because the sacrifice has already been done. It is finished. Jesus sits down and breathes. He sits down at the right hand of God and rests. How do we sit down and breathe? If we look back in the sixth chapter of Matthew, we can see that God gives us directions about how not to give, how not to pray, and how not to fast. He gives the ways to do it instead. And today's scripture teaches us how not to worry. When we learn how not to worry, we are at peace, not out of breath. Now, one thing I do want to make clear about worry is that anxiety can be a medical condition. Christians have mental health disorders at the same rate as the rest of the population. We are not immune. So please don't take anything I say to suggest that God teaches us not to worry and then that's that. Because if you have clinical anxiety or depression, God can use your therapist or your doctor as part of God's plan to heal you. God also uses God's word. God uses celebrate recovery. God uses God's creation and other things in God's world to bring about healing in our lives. So having said that, let's look further into God, how he teaches us not to worry. In verse 32, Jesus says, our heavenly father knows we need to eat and drink and have clothes to wear. Jesus is asking us to trust in God's provision. Trust in God's provision. Trust God to meet our needs. How do we do this? Do we wait for manna to just miraculously appear for us like when God fed the Israelites in the wilderness? Do we just sit down, worry-free, relax, and expect that food and the rent money is just going to suddenly appear? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Of course it's not. Matthew chapter 6 also contains the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily needs. And that is why verse 33 here says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We pray, and we trust God to provide, and then we get to work. God's word tells us in Proverbs to be like the ant that works hard for its food and stores up its provision for the winter. Jesus talks about the benefits of saving, of investing money in the parable of the talents. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. So we need to plan. We need to work. We need to save. When we plan for our needs, that is time well spent. Agonizing over our needs is wasted time that just ties us up in knots. Well, now you might be saying, well, that's all very well and good, Pastor Gigi. But you don't know how big my needs are. I have so many big problems that I would be crazy not to worry about them. And you would be right because I don't know your problems. But God does. And God asks you to trust him for your provision. A story that illustrates this trust is the story of Esther in the Bible. Esther had very big needs. Esther is one of my favorite Bible characters. If you're not familiar with the story, Esther was a beautiful young Israelite woman who basically won what was a beauty contest. And as a result, she ended up marrying Xerxes, king of Persia. Now, Esther, as a Jew... um, 
was married to the king, but he did not even know that Esther was Jewish. Before long, one of the king's highest officials decided that all the Jews should be killed. And Xerxes went along with it. Well, Esther was the only Jew that was close enough to the king to have a hope of intervening with the king to rescue the Jews. The trouble is, it's against the law for anyone to approach the king without being called for. And that includes Esther, even though she's married to Xerxes. And Xerxes hasn't called for Esther in over a month. Well, Esther knows if she goes to speak with Xerxes without being called, she can be put to death. Well, what is she going to do? What is she going to do? Because Xerxes can either have her killed or he can extend the gold scepter to her to let her speak. Could there be a situation more anxiety-producing than this? Esther decides that she's going to get ready and she's going to trust God. So she asks all the Jews to fast for three days and she and her maids will fast as well. Then she will dress in her royal robes. She will go before the king. And as she says, if I perish... I perish. What on earth? Is she being fatalistic here? No. Esther has decided that she is going to trust God. She gets to work and she makes her plans. And then she leaves the outcome to God. So Esther first makes sure all her people are worshiping by fasting. And then she gets dressed in her finest clothing. And don't you know, you just know that when she goes to the king that her heart is practically beating out of her chest. But she goes because when she says, if I perish, I perish, Esther is putting herself, her people, and all of their problems in God's hands. So she steps out in courage and she trusts in God's deliverance and provision. And the king extends his his scepter to Esther. And all of her people are saved. That's what it means to trust in God and God's righteousness first. Our part is to do our best and trust God for the rest. Esther did her best. Will we trust God like Esther did? Esther took three days to fast in faith along with God's people. Will we pause like Esther did and seek God's guidance when faced with a huge problem or decision like Esther had? Here's another reason why I believe that Jesus tells us don't worry about tomorrow. We can't get to tomorrow until tomorrow already until tomorrow comes. We can't get there ahead of time, but God is already there. We can trust God to be right there for us, giving us provision for what we need for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Jesus says each day has trouble enough of its own. There are some things that you can do ahead of time, but there are lots of things that you have to do one day at a time. You can't do tomorrow's troubles today and get them over with. Here's an example of what I mean. Our family has gone on a week-long backpacking trip. And this is back, we are a family of five, and that's a lot of food to have to carry on your back for a whole week. And it was really heavy. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be really great if we could just eat all the food ahead of time and get all the calories stored away somehow so we wouldn't have to carry all that food? But that doesn't work. It doesn't work with calories and food, and it doesn't work with troubles. 
It's much easier to handle problems when you take them one day at a time. And that's what Jesus is getting at. This might sound crazy, but when I was in labor with our first child, one of the things that really helped me was a neighbor saying to me after her first child was born, well, you know, it's only one day out of your life. You can stand anything for one day. No matter what a day brings, you can realize that this day is hard, but tomorrow you get a brand new day, and God will be there. And for each day, we need to figure out how to find breathing room. Learning how to breathe in this way takes practice. I'm reminded of when my mother-in-law was invited to be part of a trip to Nepal, where she was going to be hiking up at elevations that were really high, 14,000 feet and above, where the air is thin. And so she had to get ready to breathe that thin air. So the trip organizer sent her a mask to train her to get used to breathing with less oxygen. So she had to practice that. Here's a picture of my mother-in-law wearing her training mask, which looks pretty strange, and we had a good laugh at her. So, you know, at first, focusing and training ourselves to trust God instead of focusing on our problems can feel strange. And people might laugh at us because we think we're doing something when we worry when actually we are not doing anything except adding stress to our lives. I can tell you a few of the things that help me breathe. Maybe hearing what helps me will spark ideas of what can help you breathe. Be patient with yourself because, like my mother had to train herself to breathe, it takes time to train ourselves into a new way of dealing with our troubles and breathing with God's help. So first, I spend time in the mornings alone with God. I breathe God in deeply, and that's what keeps me from getting too out of breath during the day. Because if you don't know this about me yet, let me tell you, I can be pretty anxious and stressed out and keyed up. That's just how I'm wired. So I need God to get me on track every day. I meditate on God's word, usually just a few scriptures, and then I pray. I enjoy the peacefulness of the silence as God speaks to me in the silence. Listen to a sampling of the scriptures that remind me of who God is, of our God who tells us not to worry about tomorrow. From Proverbs 16:9, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. From Lamentations 3, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his, his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. And Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. These are just a few of the many encouraging scriptures that God uses to strengthen us through God's word. It's probably not surprising to you to hear that I spend time with God each morning. Many of you do that as well because that's what Christians do. But maybe you're saying, well, I just can't do that. It won't work for me. And maybe it won't. I used to get my private time with God in installments when my kids were little and they were interrupting me every other morning every other moment, but 
one thing about Jesus. You can count on Jesus to meet you wherever you are. Ask God to show you where you can find breathing room for time alone with God each day. And maybe you won't find much time alone. That's okay. Because Jesus can find you in your day. Jesus met the woman at the well where she was at the well. Jesus met James and John where they were in the boat. Jesus met Zacchaeus where he was up a tree waiting to see the Savior pass by. And God will meet you too. Another thing that keeps me from getting too out of breath is a, God, is a gift that God does give me quite often that he drops into my lap just like manna. Three adorable little girls live right next door to me, and they're all under the age of five. When they're playing outside and they spot me going in or out of my house, they, oh my goodness, they call, hi, DG, hi, DG. And they're so glad to see me and they come running over and they give me a hug. And sometimes they give me artwork because they go to first nursery and they will give me artwork from there to put in my refrigerator. Sometimes they take their sidewalk chalk and they'll draw pictures on my sidewalk for me. And they just want to bless me. I don't know why. I can only say thank you to God. Is there some unasked for blessing that God gives you where you can catch a glimpse of how God wants to bless you not only with the things that you need, but also to bless you with extra ones as well? Let me tell you about one more thing that helps me focus on God's kingdom first. One of the privileges I have in my ministry is I get to visit all of our homebound folks. When I walk into the room of one of these fine people and sit down to visit with them, to hear how they're doing, to hear stories of their past, and to share Holy Communion with them, I walk into God's time. I leave behind my own frazzled day and I enter God's peaceful presence. Life slows down. I live in the moment, breathing in and breathing out. Many of our homebound members are very, very old, and a number of them live in a small nursing home room. There's not a lot of extraneous stuff in their lives anymore. Their health is usually poor, and their possessions are few. Does this sound depressing to you? It's not. Let me tell you why. Because God is there. Nothing is getting in the way of God being there with his dear soul and me. The phone isn't ringing. There aren't people walking, rushing around, and there are no busy schedules. I give each person some artwork that Angie Tobias from our children's ministry has given me from our children. And the old folks just love getting that artwork. They love receiving these gifts from the hearts and hands of our children. And you know... Sometimes these older folks can't remember things very well anymore. But most of the time, when we pray the Lord's Prayer as part of the communion service, they can pray it too. Because God has stored that beautiful prayer deep in their memories. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it rings true. God gives them what they need this day. God's presence in the cup, and in the bread. God's presence is enough. 
God's presence is enough. It is enough for them. It's enough for me. It's enough for you. Breathe it in. Amen.